You grew up knowing you could do anything. As a soldier in the U.S. Army, you'll test your limits and feel the pride of doing things you never thought possible. With guaranteed training in one of more than 150 career fields, up to $40,000 cash enlistment bonus, you'll earn a steady paycheck, get money for college, and gain valuable experience while you learn how to be a valued team leader. To find out more, call your local Army recruiter or visit us at GoArmy.com. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats with Chris DeLambert and Brandon Atkins. You may not like your seats, but you'll love the show. Thanks for that intro, Trent. I feel a little guilty because you're left out of that. Trent is <laughs> not just the third wheel on From the Cheap Seats. He is what what is what is he? What is he to this? Is he the Carmelo in our Russell Westbrook, Paul George squad. Maybe. Is that what's going on? Do you ever dish any assists or are you just a shooter, Trent? No, dude. He's a glue guy. You're going to be a black hole, aren't you? I am. He's the, no, he's the <laughs> defensive stopper, man. He can talk all I'll be the here. Rodman. I can be the Rodman to your guys. I like uh, that. Doesn't need Pippen any touches. He's just going to go out there, play good D, grab rebounds. Get fired up. Yeah. Get a tech. Pick up a tech when it's when it's needed. I like that. Get the yeah. guys fired up. Take it. Chris Welcome is- to From the Cheap Seats. I'm Chris DeLambert, Brandon Atkins, Trent Nichols, all hanging out, all talking sports. Chris, you get a little more bass than usual in your voice. <laughs> I do. That's not bass. That's mucus. Oh, nice. Um, that's lovely. I, I've got a little bit of a cold, so I'm going to have to disinfect the mic when I'm done. Um, here, Man, big weekend in the NFL. Sure. Uh, upsets abounded in both the NCAA. Some teams got got away with some close calls. There were some others who weren't so lucky and and actually fell from the ranks of the unbeaten. In the M, in the NFL, I the universe like folded in on itself. Uh, I'm glad I wasn't uh, playing any multi team parlays because it would have been brutal. Yep. It was bad. Um, but bigger than all of that. Because I really don't think week three in the NFL is that important in the bigger scheme of things. Sure. And there's still, you know, eight games on most of these college schedules. I'm most interested in what the NBA's got going on. Um, You look at Golden State and the way that they constructed their team, and not even necessarily the way they constructed it, but what they've been able to accomplish Mm -hmm. with that squad that they've put together that's played in three consecutive finals now and looks like it'll pay in three or four more consecutive they have kind of set a new bar for NBA franchises. And what was what almost seemed defeatist 18 months ago, where everybody just kind of sort of wrung their hands. And I actually heard um, talking heads say, well, these teams need to start preparing for when Golden State breaks up. Sure. And when Clay Thompson leaves and when they can't afford Steph Curry anymore. And, and really project to, to be the team four or five years from now that can take over, which is ludicrous. So some of the teams have sat on their hands. Other teams have said, hey, you know what? This is the new economy in the NBA, and we're going to chase this. Um, one of those teams is trying to get Brandon on the line right now yep. to advise, and it may be that they're asking – 
what the Rockets tried to give the Knicks for Carmelo Anthony. It's actually uh, Kevin Durant is trying to tweet me from his burn account. <laughs> his burn, <laughs> I like that. Hey, make sure you're on your burn account. Yeah. When I, you think you're on your burn account, talking about your old team that you left like a coward. How so, I, you know, I, I would ask the question, who's the worst Twitter user? Who has the worst command of Twitter? <laughs> Come on. Could it be in the room? Come on. Or could it be President Trump? Oh, yeah, I, I was going to say. Yeah, we're going to save that for the second it had hour. had to be the Don. I promise, WDCC, we're not going to talk politics on your airwaves. But if you want to hear what we have to say about the whole president versus NBA Twitter war that's going on, check the second hour. You can get it if you're on WBLZ. Just keep on with us. If you're on WDCC listening, follow us over to iTunes or Google Play and get the second hour of the show. I have thought and thought and thought. Do I want to do this? Do I want to do this? And I woke up this morning and I was like, I feel like crap already. Guess what? We about to do this, dog. (laughs) Well, you know, in person, Trump's not that bad of a guy because he's in doing some of our voiceover work. Yeah, when he was in studio doing the promos, he seemed like a nice enough guy. I'd have a beer with him. Yeah. Well, you did, didn't you? You're not supposed to know about that, man. Yeah, see, you you the Secret Surface and Donald Trump drinking beer. Drinking Bud Light. Who knew Donald Trump was a Bud Light guy? You know, he actually doesn't drink at all, and maybe he should. He's After making the- a lot of people out there drink, <laughs> right. so I'll be fair as fair. He doesn't look as orange in person man. he does on TV. So, back to your point, what was... <laughs> What was it? Who knew that Brandon Atkins would be the adult supervision back in the in. studio? Well, I can see this going down this tr- Trump rabbit hole, and I'm not about to go down that. Second hour, second hour. But um, what were the Rockets thinking? Like you said, like how, how did Oklahoma City end up with Mella? Well, I am they- not certain. Okay, and, and let's make sure that – because there, there surely is somebody listening who doesn't understand that the New York Knicks gave up a future Hall of Famer who, yes, is on an awfully big contract, and yes, is probably a pain in the butt in the locker room, but gave up a future lock Hall of Famer for Enos Cantor, Doug McDermott, and a second-round pick. Now, this Oklahoma City thing kind of came out of nowhere because it was a foregone conclusion at one point that Carmelo was going to go to Houston. That was the team... The only team initially that he was willing to waive his no-trade clause for. Mm-hmm. Here's my question, Trent Nichols. What in the world could Houston possibly have offered for Carmelo Anthony that was less valuable than Enos Cantor, Doug McDermott, and a second-round pick? Uh, a sandbag and maybe some a free nachos. to be named later? Yeah, at the concession stand? I have no idea. You know who the happiest guy in the NBA is? Is the general manager in Indiana that took so much <laughs> grief for what he got back for Paul George because that was highway robbery. Yeah. I, I It's difficult for me to believe that either Cleveland or Houston could not have come up with a more attractive package. And maybe this is New York saying, you know what? We're not going to feed the beast. We're not going to send him out to – Cleveland and help LeBron James in any sort of way. Maybe it's because Cleveland was so resistant to put Kevin Love in a deal and they said, hey, if you're not giving up Kevin Love, we're not going to play. I don't have any idea. But Enos Cantor, Doug McDermott, and a second-round pick, 
That's not even like a 2K deal. I mean, I don't get it. Yeah, and, you know, you had mentioned earlier about the NBA kind of owning all this space year-round now. The players, I think two things drive it. Number one, Twitter sphere, um, social media. And now all the players essentially, or it's about to happen, control their own destiny. And, yeah, maybe the Knicks were like, listen – if y'all are going to get together and dominate the NBA, you're not going to do it on our dime or on our time. And they decided not to send him. But to me, I think he's a weird fit at Oklahoma. Is Melo a good fit almost anywhere where there's other superstars? Depends on what you're asking of him. And it depends on what he's willing to do. I mean, if you want him to go down, shut down, and play both ends of the court, nah. But if you want him to get you buckets on demand, yeah. And – I said it last year. I thought that Russell Westbrook was the no-brainer MVP of the National Basketball mm-hmm. Association. You take that now and you think back that Oklahoma City was a legit playoff team last year. Who was the second best player in Oklahoma City last year? Not worth mentioning. I, yeah. right? right? So now you take really, truly pretty much that same team because what they gave up was spare parts minus Cantor, and I would venture to say Stephen Adams can give you what Cantor was giving you. Mm-hmm. You take that legitimate playoff team, and you add Paul George, and you add Carmelo Anthony. I don't know. Is this the second best team in the West? Is it the fourth best team in the West? Yeah, it's I don't know. Brain. Yeah, I think you've just there. I think, in my opinion. They're the most exciting team. I mean, people are going to make, obviously, the argument for Golden State, and they are exciting to watch. But I think that's all you've really accomplished. They're not going to beat Golden State in a, a seven-game series. I think it's still the it's the puzzle pieces. It's kind of like when you scratch your head when Chris Paul went to Houston. How is this all going to fit together? Because all of these guys are doing kind of the same thing besides Westbrook, but Paul George and, and Camelo together – how is it all going to fit together? So I don't know. Does it I, make them better? Well, you say the Houston thing. I think the Houston deal is a whole different animal because basically you've got two really good ball players who really play the same position and nothing. I nothing, nothing, nothing else on that mm-hmm. roster. So I think Houston is even out of the conversation. And I wouldn't be surprised if by year end Chris Paul's being shopped somewhere else because that Houston experiment has failed. I could be completely wrong. I and the NBA have been makes, plenty of times. NBA makes me laugh. Like, I'm looking at some of the uh, trade deals they're doing in the East. Nobody cares. Like, these – and then, you know, Dwayne Wade's now available. He's just been, you know, bought out of his deal. And they're saying teams are lining up for D- Dwayne Wade – not if it's one of, if I'm the GM of one of these teams, I'm not looking to bring Dwayne Wade on outside of maybe a piece number five or six. Well, that's exactly Did what anybody watch him play well, last year. Here's the thing though. At this point, D. Wade, I think, knows his role. I don't think he has illusions of going anywhere and being a guy that's gonna carry a team. The other thing is he just got bought out. So you're looking at a very minimal deal that Dwayne Wade's gonna going to play for. Right. So you ask the question, well, is Carmelo Anthony a good fit in Oklahoma City? No. I mean, in a perfect world, if I was going out there to look to add one guy to a Paul George, Russell Westbrook team, 
I'm trying to find a big-time post player. I'm trying to bring in Boogie Cousins. Um, However, when you flip that around and you look at what they gave up to get (laughs) Carmelo Anthony, I mean, it's value. It doesn't have to be a perfect fit. And now you look at the same thing with Wade. If I'm starting from scratch, Dwayne Wade's not very high up my list of priorities. But let's look at Oklahoma City for a second. Oklahoma City, the bench is thin. You've got three premier scorers in the league that you can feature when everybody's on the floor together. Why not have Dwayne Wade come out and be the primary scorer for that second group? Or the secondary scorer if you stagger minutes and you have Paul George out there. However you want to do it, that's a nice weapon. The minimum Wade can get is 2.3 because of him being a veteran. Right now, the team, Oklahoma, could pay him 2.3. That's what they have available. The team with the most money that could pay him the most, up about $4 million, is what? The L.A. Lakers. Miami Heat. Is it the Heat? It is. See, my question is, here's what I think I know. I think I know the one place I can count on him not to go is Cleveland. And here's the thing. People have lost sight of Dwayne Wade's place in history. Dwayne Wade is a great NBA player. Yeah. Dwayne Wade has three rings. One with Shaq, two with LeBron. The key being with, I don't think he wants to go back and reset and try to make history with LeBron James. Mm -hmm. I think that he could really set him apart if he was a part of three NBA championships with three different groups of players. That's just a gut feeling. Could be completely off base with that, but... It's my feeling he's probably not going to wind up in Cleveland. He doesn't want to be second fiddle to LeBron. That's kind of run its course. He's had his chance to do that since then anyway and elected not to. I'm looking Oklahoma City way. Uh, I think Houston makes no sense at all. So who knows? I'd love to see him go with the T-Wolves because the T-Wolves are my my sweetheart team. Mm -hmm. San Antonio loves their vets. And nobody knows how to employ his weapons better than Popovich does. So I don't know. B, what do you think? Yeah, Where do you, but, if you had to, if you had to pick a place, a landing spot for Dwayne Wade right now. Oh my God! Oh my God! He's here. We'll see you on the other side. Krista Lambert, Brandon Atkins, two American Patriots trying to make sports talk radio great again. The V Foundation and board member Robin Roberts are dedicated to declaring victory over cancer by funding cutting-edge research. Jim Valvano's greatest legacy is the V Foundation. You can help join the fight, give the gift of time. We need passion, we need teamwork and momentum. The time to act is now. There's not a moment to lose. Every dollar counts. Every day counts. To find out how you can join us to defeat cancer, please visit JimmyV.org. Welcome back to From the Cheap Seats. All right, welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. This is Chris Lambert, Brandon Atkins, Professor Trent Nichols. This segment of the show brought to you by Libations, purveyors of fine wine and craft beer. We will be out there on the 27th, Wednesday. Yeah, that's what day. The 27th of September. Every other Wednesday, we play trivia out there. Come on out. It's a good time. You might win it from the Chief Seats 
t-shirt. Who knows? Nice. Um, we give away all kinds of cool stuff. So I didn't mean for this to become NBA Insider in the middle of football season. Yeah. However, here's Trent. You made an interesting statement during the break. Of all of the big teams, the big boys at the table, how many of them have gotten worse this offseason? Well, in my eyes, the only team that is – Probably gotten worse is the the Cavs, right. Cleveland Cavaliers, which is interesting mm-hmm. because they still have the great equalizer. They still have the best player alive, and it's been interesting. And I wonder what LeBron is thinking as he watches everything unfold, because you've got the Golden State Warriors out here in the West. Then, in no particular order, you have the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Houston Rockets, the San Antonio Spurs, and now the Oklahoma City Thunder, who have made huge strides. I think in the East, I've said it before, I think Boston is past Cleveland. Time will tell, and Mm -hmm. we'll see how it all shakes out. But is it possible that the greatest player in the NBA, the one that's been to you know, 43 consecutive conference or NBA championship series is on the sixth or seventh best team in the NBA. No, that's not Brand. that bad. Go ahead. No, it's not that bad. I mean, he's, you know, I, I was thinking about this the other day. He eventually had to go back to Kevin Love and say, Kevin, my man, <laughs> you know, I love you. I didn't mean to shop you all over the league, up and down the league. As he was saying that, did he pat Kevin Love on the head? No, he didn't. And that's what I was saying in the break. I think LeBron's thinking I probably should have shown Kyrie a little more respect. Because really, up until this point, if you think about it, LeBron has always played what he with what consider he considers more veteran players and or people are on his level friend wise when they were playing for the U.S. Uh, U.S. teams, that's how basically Bosch and Wade and himself got together. Now he's trying to be like a father figure, leader role. Kyrie ain't having it because Kyrie thinks he's probably one of the best players in the league, especially at least in the East. Uh, he thinks he's probably one of the better players. And LeBron in the TV breaks or after a good play would come up and pat him on the head, you know. Kyrie would be coming in for the hug, and LeBron's giving him a pat on the head. I saw that coming from a mile away. But, no, they're not the seventh-best team in the East. Okay, they I'm still gonna got make, LeBron. I'm going to make a couple of statements here, and I want you, I want your feedback on them. You just said Kyrie feels like he's one of the better players, you know, at least in the East. Sure. Of all of the chess pieces that have moved this offseason, for me, Kyrie Irving is the best of all of them. Kevin Durant didn't move. LeBron didn't move. Steph Curry didn't move. I think Kyrie's next, maybe right there with Russell Westbrook, perhaps James Harden. So of all the folks that went someplace else, I think Kyrie is the best. I totally agree. And I still, before this whole thing started, I said you could make an argument that Kyrie was the second best player in the East. That argument got easier to make because Paul George and Jimmy Butler left. Yep. So Kyrie has a chance in in one of the most iconic franchises 
in American sports to solidify himself and be the guy. Good Kyrie's on, in the catbird seat. Good ownership, too. Good, great GM. I was going to say, great GM. Danny Ainge just wins. And great coach. Yeah. So it's funny because what you saw with the other teams that got better this offseason at this level, in this conversation, because surely there are teams, Charlotte being one. Yeah. I love what Charlotte did this offseason. Charlotte's in a tier below all of this. Um. And- and that's another thing, just real quick, I don't mean to take you off your point. That I thought, you know, Cleveland had to make a deal for Kyrie. Why in the world didn't they send him somewhere out west? Like, why send him to the the one team you're going to be meeting in the Eastern Conference Finals? Makes no sense to me whatsoever. Well, honestly, I think it was because what they were asking in return, there were very, very limited Teams that had there was a limited number of teams that had the resources to make that happen. Right. There were there were rumors about him going out to Sacramento and De'Aaron Fox being included in a deal. Phoenix tried hard, um, but in the end, I think that Cleveland probably won that trade in terms of value if you look across the spectrum. But still, the NBA has become about stars. You know, it's like fantasy football. You can't give up, I don't know, Todd Gurley and get five good players in return because that's not what it's about. It's about the stars. And the NBA is that. Boston milked it for everything they could could get. And it helped them in more ways than one because it took them off the hook of the beloved Isaiah Thomas having to pay them that big contract. Which was genius. Okay, now we don't have to deal with this next year. He's gone, but we got even better. And that's what makes Danny Ainge the best GM around. Now, he's going to have to win another championship to solidify this and and say that it made sense. And, you know, Kyrie's got to stay healthy. But he looked at it and said, we're topped out. You know, with an undersized point guard as our number one option on offense, we can only do what we can do. It's not going to win championships. And they were able – to head off the PR nightmare of having to let you know their best player walk in free agency mm-hmm. or saddling themselves with this gargantuan contract for a guy who, when it all is said and done, is an undersized point guard. Yeah, that's true. But like, let's just put it this way. The only thing I'm talking about with sending them to the Celtics, it's like I'm, if I'm in real estate and I'm a broker and I got the number one producer in Sanford – and I know he's going to leave, and I make a deal to send him to one of my competitors, like in town. I'd much rather send him out of state and trade him for someone who I'm not going to be complete, you know, competing with during the course of a regular season. Yeah, but in but, the end, though, I don't think that Cleveland is is fixated on what it's what's going to happen in the East. You know, because LeBron's LeBron, if LeBron there. leaves then they have a whole new set of problems Cleveland does. Well, so it doesn't matter where they send them. But back to LeBron, what is he thinking? Because honestly, right now, LeBron a month ago was thinking, you know what, I'm going to play with the Cavs and I'm going to go to the Lakers. I'm going to get my boy Anthony with me. I'm going to get Chris Paul with me. Now I'm not so sure. Who knows? You know, the the thought process for some of these teams is, is that, well, we're going to wait. And we're we're going to hold out, and we're waiting for next year's crop of free agents, and we're going to do that. Well, first of all, free agency 
it only takes one other team to screw up your plans. Mm -hmm. The other thing is there's no telling which of these guys are going to sign extensions as the year rolls on and never hit free agency. If Oklahoma City makes it to the conference finals and Carmelo Anthony and Paul George look at each other and they're like, you know what, we should stay here with Russell, we're digging this, they're not going anywhere, they come off the table. So to plan that far in advance, you, you can't anticipate injuries. You, there's so many things going on. And like I just said earlier, one of these one more one or more of these teams is obviously not going to work out. You can't just go pencil in the top five seeds in the West and say all of these five teams that have made all these moves and become these quote-unquote super teams are locked into those slots. Somebody's not going to be. Well, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what he, LeBron is thinking. First of all, he's like, I'm thinking I shouldn't have run Wiggins out of town. Second thing he's thinking hmm. is he underestimated the other players would eventually be able to call their own shots. I think in his head, him and D-Wade and these guys who played for the U.S. team – said, here's what we're going to do, not thinking that anybody else would do that player-wise because the players have almost – unless they uh, renegotiate how things are done with the contracts, rookie contracts and things of that nature, the players will eventually be able to control their own destiny. These guys are playing together on the – I would never let my player play for the U.S. Olympic team (laughs) because I wouldn't want them around these other cats. Well, here's the thing. When you look back at it, it, you know – Ten years ago, what people were saying was, well, free agency's killing the NBA. There's no chemistry on these teams. There's no loyalty in these cities. The fan bases aren't getting to you know, familiarize themselves with these players. If you look back at you look at the Bulls in the 90s, you look at the Celtics in the 80s, the Lakers in the 80s, back into the 70s, it was the same core group of guys with minimal movement. And you can identify. If I you know, say, hey, then – the Detroit Pistons of the late 80s, you can start rattling off the guys that were on those teams. The problem is, or the problem was, that we were fixated on that. And yes, the NBA struggled with it for a little while. However, now, what was quote-unquote killing the NBA has made the NBA a viable product in the offseason for the first time in forever. I agree, but I don't... I don't think most fans like it, like players bouncing around. It's just something they're going to have to deal with. You know, Listen. The, the players decided to take control. I know when – remember when Jawan Howard got all that silly money and we all know that Jawan Howard wasn't worth over $80 million or whatever it was? He only got that money because the timing was absolutely perfect. These guys are going to make sure the timing is right for those paydays and uh, you, I don't think you're ever going to see it change unless the owners renegotiate something. Why would the owners the renegotiate anything? Why would you? Want I mean, to you've j- got the NBA being talked about now in the middle of summer and into the fall when in, when the NFL is king. Right. The NBA hadn't had it like this in forever. Yeah, but the, the, Knicks- the Houston Rockets just sold for two point four billion dollars. The the owners are the, cool. I'm sure there are owners of some of these these teams that have not figured out how to crack the code yet. They're like, man, I really wish we could get this done like Golden State, like San Antonio, like whomever. But you do want to win, too. Well, of I course mean, they do. But And that is why I think the money but, is not that important. Well, it's important, but I don't think – I think the players are trying to – position themselves to win the championship and be together with the guys they want to play with and they're walking away from that extra 30 or 40 million dollars yeah and at the same time 
the salary cap is what it is, and it's the most convoluted, complicated. <laughs> the attorneys that put the salary cap together should have been doctors working to cure cancer. Right. I, I mean, my God. I think it's the most the, convoluted system in the history of the world, but it doesn't matter. And we'll talk about it a little bit more. And I swear we're going to talk some football when we come back. You're listening to Krista Lambert and Brandon Adkins on From the Cheap Seats, a production of Cheap Seats Radio. Hello, I'm Rob Beckley, lead singer of the band Pillar. I served in the Army Reserve for eight years, and it taught me lessons in teamwork, leadership, and organizational skills that I still use today. Serving part-time in the Army Reserve also offers skill training, money for college, and bonuses up to $20,000. So if you're up to the challenge, talk to your local Army Reserve recruiter today, or check us out online at GoArmyReserve.com. You too can be Army strong in the Army Reserve. And now, from Sanford, North Carolina, Chris Lambert and Brandon Atkins. Got money, I got fame, fast cars and everything. Yeah. Rock on. This is Chris Lambert, Brandon Atkins, Professor Trent Nichols, talking sports. I swear to God, at some point we're going to get into the NFL and, and the NCAA football, but we're stuck in NBA land right now, and I just don't know how to get out of it. We'll, we'll get out of it, but after that intro, does it make you want to grow your hair out, put on a sequin jacket, and show some chest hair? I'm working on it, dude. I'm working <laughs> on it. I, what I'm thinking is that I need to I, I need to grow my hair out like Mike Gundy, rock that mullet. Um. And I think I just found my way out of the NBA. Gotcha. Mike Gundy, did you guys see the TCU-Oklahoma State matchup this weekend? Yes. We've been talking up Oklahoma State, Ugh. that juggernaut of an offense. Mike Gundy probably put a, should have put a little bit more energy into game planning than into selling T-shirts with his mullet silhouette on them mm. and doing comedy interviews with ESPN and Barry Melrose uh, Oklahoma State, I think, in this game fell victim to their own press. They came out flat. Gary Patterson came out, and I told you guys, as much as I've been on that Oklahoma State tip, TCU plays defense. And they came out and they played just enough. But I don't think what anybody anticipated is that Kenny Hill was going to be the better of the two quarterbacks on the field. And TCU goes into Stillwater and leaves – with their perfect season still intact, yep, and Oklahoma State reeling a little bit. You know, we had talked a couple weeks ago trying to figure out is there any kind of way that two teams from the Big 12 can get into the playoff? Mm-hmm. Well, that probably went by the wayside. Of course, TCU could make a case. They've got Oklahoma down the road. We'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens with all this. And if you're looking down the road, they just lost an offensive lineman to a leg injury, I think, for the season. So things don't look, don't look like they're getting any better over there. But yeah, I called it wrong. I lost a lot of street cred last week. I said I think Oklahoma State and Oklahoma are going to get in. 
to the final four. Well done. And uh, that didn't work out. The Atkins curse. <laughs> That's what happened. There is won. one. Well, proof positive. I, I, I did hear in the post game interview or post game presser, uh, Mike Gundy quick to say we got out coached. Well, yeah, yeah, you did. And my question is, how far is Mike Gundy from becoming the new Mark Richt? When Mark Richt was at Georgia, he had some really, really good teams. Could never get over the hump. I think Mike Gundy might be that guy. And think about it. He had to go home and tell his family he got beat by the Horned Frogs. Right. That kind of sucks. I know. Although I think I'm with you. I think TCU is quietly – a lot better than most prognosticators out I mean, there. TCU is good every year, and Gary Patterson, with what he's done with that program, very, very underrated. Uh, he does it out there in relative obscurity. Uh, has been there for a million years. You think of the guys that have come through that program since he's since he's been there. They just do what they do, and when it comes to defense, you know, if he knows what you're going to do, he'll find a way to shut it down, and. The Oklahoma State offense, they love to say, well, this offense is really only 15 plays. Well, that's making light of it because it's a little bit more complicated than that, just a little bit more complicated with the different formations, variations, and reads, and the rest of that. But apparently not all that complicated mm-hmm. because TCU is able to shut it down. Now, it is you, you have to qualify that by saying that TCU had a couple of almost freakish plays in that game, um, I, I don't know that I've ever seen a game where two interceptions were made by defensive linemen. <laughs> uh, but in the end, Oklahoma State's done, and they've got to be looking ahead to Bedlam. They can still salvage their season. Oklahoma, on the other hand, Baylor almost got them. Yep. And I think that the problem there was completely different. Oklahoma got in there and for the first quarter was like, this is too easy, and kind of pulled the brake. And Baylor said, hey, wait a minute. Um, we might suck, but we'll, we're still going to punch you in the mouth. I don't know. We were talking about coaches. Could be worse. You could be named Jimbo Fisher. <laughs> Jimbo Fisher. Brandon. Florida State has Brandon just- doesn't give me Brandon doesn't give me credit very often. But he called me to tell me, you might be right about Jimbo Fisher. Check this. They dropped out of the top 25 for the first time since 2011. Yep. What do you think Bobby Bowden's thinking about all this right now? He's got to be going, "Mm, see, it ain't just that easy. But, yeah, I had to give Chris credit. He's like, listen, you can play with the – if you all the time get the best players, like I think he was what, OC for LSU under Saban. And he had success there. But uh, if you always play with the best players, you can't help to win a lot of your games. But when it comes down to actually having a coach and game plan and things of that nature, maybe Jimbo's flaws have been hidden over some time because they went out and played against the NC State team and got their field spit on by one of the NC State players. There's not a fear factor for Florida State anymore. I know they won a couple of years ago. But it's like ding-dong, the witch is dead. No teams are really respecting them like they used to under Bobby, uh, right. Bobby Bowden. Let me, let me qualify all this. Jimbo Fisher is a really, really good college football coach. However, he's developed this reputation as an offensive genius, 
and a play-calling mastermind that, to me, is not warranted. He came into LSU as an underqualified assistant because he has a personal relationship with Nick Saban. Ended up the offensive coordinator there on an LSU squad that was every season pumping offensive linemen and skill position players into the NFL and had the best defense in college football and managed not to screw it up. Now, there's plenty to be said for having the best talent and not screwing it up, but that's a completely different animal than being an offensive genius. And at Florida State, he's done a pretty good job of not screwing it up and has had superior talent based on the program that Bobby Bowden built. There's a lot of alliteration right there. (laughs) Now, if you take Jimbo Fisher and you extract him from there and put him at Maryland, guess what? He's going to win three or four ball games. He's not going to outmaneuver somebody on the football field. And there's a trend at Florida State that I've got my eye on that's really kind of alarming to me. The best coaches in the NCAA lose assistance every year. There's a talent seepage every single year. Look at Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer can't keep an, a, a coordinator for more than a year or two because they're going someplace else to take a program. Jimbo Fisher's been at Florida State for seven years, and the one guy that has left his program to be a head coach is Mark Stoops, brother of Bob and Mike Stoops. <laughs> so I, that that does not classify or <laughs> that doesn't classify as part of the the Jimbo Fisher coaching tree. Yeah, that when you're a blood relative <laughs> to. Two guys that have been around for a million years. That last name carries as much weight as DeLambert does in sports radio. Right? You know what I'm saying? Or Atkins in Sanford. (laughs) Or Nichols in the wing business. (laughs) Yeah. No, what I'm saying is that's an indicator that maybe this guy isn't the genius that we've made him out to be. Now, I'm not going to jump on and say Florida State's done or anything like that because if you give him a seasoned quarterback, and whether it's Blackman or whoever's next up – they're going to be okay, but I'm not going to crown that guy. Don't crown him then. I, 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 you were a little late on the it's pick actually up there. Like, what are you doing? It's not going to be all right for Jimbo because I agree with you, and the reason I agree with you, since you made that comment about Jimbo, I have a lot of friends who are Florida State fans. They've been whispering about this for a long time, and I, it was news to me because I don't pay that much attention Um you know, was, I'm kind of looking at it from the outside in. The Sometimes surface. I wonder if you pay much attention to sports in general. I do. I do, brother. I was at your house watching the game this you past were. weekend. But here's my what thing. With, with the NC State, I want, to, I want to reset this one time, and then I want to get into some picks. Because I want to know well, – well, first of all, let me give NC State their due. When the NC State offense was on the field, Ryan Finley was the best player on the field. When Florida State's offense was on the field – Bradley Chubb from NC State was the best player on the field. NC State was the better squad, period, and they beat Florida State. And looking at that game in a vacuum, NC State was the better squad, period. Now, my question is, is at this point, who's the second best team in the ACC behind Clemson? Because Florida State, at least temporarily for this year, has to be out of the equation. They can work their way back in, but going into this weekend – There's an awful lot of teams that could stake that claim. You've got Louisville, who's been beaten by Clemson. You could still say, well, they could beat everybody else. Miami, Virginia Tech. Who do you have, Trent? 
Well, early on, and you guys, you know, being the big ACC fan that I am, you may laugh at me, but <laughs> right now, I think Duke may be the second best. Well, Duke at 4-0 and gets to prove it this weekend. Duke's got a big matchup coming down the pipe. That's one of our featured games, by the way. Brandon. Yeah, big game against Miami coming yep. up this weekend. And we've got some experts going to weigh in on, on where that's at. I actually like Virginia Tech slightly better, although I think – it's not even really close. I think Daniel Jones, the QB for Duke, is pretty awesome. Um, I think he's probably maybe the third best quarterback in the whole conference. Behind whom? Uh, your man crush, Jackson, and um, his name escapes me now. What school? Louisville. Oh, no. Your man crush. I, we got Lamar Jackson. I'm trying to help you out because you're he, scratching he, your nose. He actually, Who's number two? He actually might be number two. Oh, come now, on, I, think Ryan Finn, I take Ryan Finley all day long. All right, but I'm interested to hear what the first of our experts hear about this week's matchup. So, Trent, roll that. On the phone with me, my good friend Sean Stinson, the editor-in-chief of the Pendleton Times in Franklin, West Virginia. Sean, I know you're licking your wounds, man. Your Kentucky Wildcats were that close to breaking the string. What's it been, 33 years since they beat the Gators? Luckily, it's only been 31, but oh. thanks for thanks for reminding me. I thought I was going to be able to go ahead and just move on with my life, but thanks, Chris. Thanks, buddy. No I appreciate you. And, Love and you in too. case you forget, man, remember, we're, on, we're available on the iTunes store, so go ahead and you can check it out and listen to it over and over again. I really, my heart bled for you, man. I don't know if you know this. I was on the field when they beat Louisville back in the day for the first time ever, and that was one of the great moments. And I was watching the end of that game thinking thinking two things. One, the University of Kentucky has the best doggone uniforms in the NCAA right now. Those chrome helmets are dope. And two, this is going to be an even bigger win than when they beat Louisville. And they still have the best uniforms in the world. That's all I can say. We appreciate that. However, the chrome helmets that we've only popped out, I think, about five or six times, I believe Kentucky is like 0-6. No, yeah, so we need to just – like I said, I like them too. They look great, but we can't win in them. Listen, so, truth be told, I'm sure that Kentucky is winless in plenty of other uniforms too. <sighs> yeah, that too, Chris. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks buddy. And why do I put myself through this every week? I, <laughs> we appreciate the effort, man. But I, Kentucky's got something going. Mark Stoops is the right guy for that job. Kentucky's going to be fine. Uh, we, I, I agree. I think Kentucky's going to be very, very, very good this year. And, and like I said, it's just that that's okay because, again, like I said, at least I'm not a Bengals fan. So I got oh, that going for me. Wow. Wow. There you go. There you go, buddy. Like I said, mic drop. Thank you, Chris. Love you too, buddy. Yeah, make your picks, dude. Now you've now you've heard my feelings. All right. Well, I'm glad. So we're gonna go with uh, the Miami Hurricanes. We'll go with Clemson after learning my lesson, picking against them against Louisville, and we'll also go against my NFL team, the Vikings. I'm gonna go with the Detroit Lions, and I'm sure you guys already know this, and I'm again, but we'll just in case the last time that Miami and Duke faced off there in Durham. Yeah, we had the eight lateral return there to beat Duke. And final minute is Miami pulled out that nice victory. So I don't think it's going to require that this time. But don't forget, Miami has that play. Sean Stinson, still heartbroken. 
over the Wildcats, gacking one away against the Gators. And uh, I'm shocked, stunned that he's going against the Blue Devils. But we'll see how it all shakes out. They just On the other side, we still got plenty, plenty, plenty of things to cover, not the least of which is Diamond Dave Kaplan in here to, uh, I think he's going to make a trophy presentation or something. I don't know. We'll see you on the other side. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats on WDCC 90.5 and the WBLZ Sports Net. This is Jared Jones. Kristen Lambert and Brandon Atkins always helped me with my draft picks, but I sure wish they would stop hanging out with Zeke Elliott. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats with Chris DeLambert and Brandon Atkins. But if you really want to know what's going on, Professor Trent, they should listen to you and me, Diamond Dave Kaplan. We've got a better grasp on sports, I think. It's astute analysis. Welcome back to From the Cheap Seats. Chris DeLambert, Brandon Atkins, Professor Trent Nichols, and Diamond Dave Kaplan here. Brandon, you were buried in your phone, but I do need to relate something that just happened to you while you were not paying attention. Okay. Dave's been in here sitting back, playing on his phone, cool Dave as normal, until he heard the promo run and heard his voice and his eyes lit up, big as pie plates, and he's like forward in his chair ready to rock and roll. I learned a lot about you in that instance. Well, I heard Trent. Oh, it's the, oh, it was Trent that you heard. Oh, right. he, he popped did. on his earphones so quickly I to know, hear his Trent voice. Saw it. He, he looked like up. A, He's, I'm ready to go now. He looked like a little boy that got a BB gun for Christmas. Yes, sir. <laughs> he looked yes. that excited. I thought that intro we recorded was like lost. It was. <laughs> it was. <laughs> and we came in here. We finally put Schlepprock on on notice. Dude. Nah. We're going to show up and we're going to remix these intros and outros, or you can be a part of it. And he was scared to let us like take control. That you know how he is. Oh, yeah. All right. Real quick, we're going to go around. No, I the saw hall. it. I saw the look on his face. I didn't miss that. Sean Stinson leading us off with his picks. I'm taking, oh, it hurts me to do this because I, I have a soft spot for Mike Zimmer and, and the Minnesota Vikings. I'm taking Detroit over Minnesota. I am taking Duke. Against Miami, and I'm just going to keep picking against Clemson until they lose. So I'm going to take Va Tech because I don't think any of y'all have the stones to do it. Brandon, real quick. Um, I take Detroit. They really should have won this last game this past weekend. I'll take them over the Vikes. I think this might be Duke's year. I think they're going to win this weekend. Yeah, just call it a hunch. Got good quarterback play. That always helps out. What was the last pick? Help me out. Clemson, Va Tech. Oh, Clemson versus the rest of. College football. Well, we'll do that the opposite because I know you're just going to take Clemson until somebody beats them. I'm going to go the opposite way because I'm rooting for chaos in the NCAA. Gotcha. Diamond Dave. Uh, I'll take Detroit. I agree. They should have won. They should be motivated by that last second 
call-ish, whatever happened. I mean, he was short. Yeah. There, there's, yeah. I mean, close. It's that hard, hurts. though, when, when, when they give it to you. And, yeah, and then they you know, take, and it, then away. They take <laughs> it away. I'm with and you. Then, um, um, then I'll take uh, Miami because I think anybody who gets a win over UNC plays terrible the next week. And then I'll also take Clemson. Okay. And Trent to round them out. Duke, the Lions, and Clemson. That's as quick as it gets. Well done, Trent. Up next, yeah, Jay Speed's Bliss. what we're looking for. Speed's what we're looking for around here. Speed kills. <laughs> Jay Bliss not making picks, but he wants to talk a little football, so we'll let him in. Trent, run that team. I was a fiend before I became a teen. I melted microphones instead of cones and ice cream music orientated. So when hip-hop was originated, fitted like pieces of puzzles, bit complicated. Cause I grabbed the mic and tried to Fresh say off yes, your trip to Boston Comedy Festival on the phone with me, my favorite comedian in the universe, Jay Bliss. Yeah, all day, man. Hey, man, I am supposed to be a finalist in the Boston Comedy Festival. Didn't win the whole thing. Man, but I had a good time. Met some cool comedians, man, from across the country, man. So I had a good time. But I'm back, man. Just getting back today, and I lost my bag at the airport, so I'm still pissed off. But nice. I'm back. All I want to so, know. All I want to know before you start: Did Tom Brady beat you? No, 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 no. Because you do know if he the winner, he if he the entered, he won. There's no doubt. About <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Nah, nah. It was good though. It was a good time, man. But I, what I want to talk about this week, man, is uh. This was upset weekend. I'm going to tell you right now, Vegas made some money this weekend. There's some dudes walking around the house right now, slamming doors, daring their wife to say something crazy to them right now. There's some dudes with some attitudes in their house right now. There's some kids getting hit for no reason right now. There's some Christmases that got canceled right now because of this weekend. How many upsets did we have? Over one weekend. I was looking at the TV screen, watching the games going, what? Every, like, every five seconds, the Jags smashed the Ravens in London. That was 9.30 in the morning, so you knew you were going to wake up to some BS for the rest of the week. The Bills over the Broncos, okay? You had the Saints beat the Panthers, which is crazy. Everybody knew the Panthers were going to beat the Saints. And nobody had a chance in the world that the Saints were going to come to Carolina and beat the Panthers. And not only did they beat them, the Panthers look horrible. So I don't know what's going on there, okay? The Bears over the Steelers. You tell me one person that was going to bet that. You know you go ESPN and you can look to see who did the picks. I guarantee you no person, and maybe Mike Dicker might be the only person on that list that picked the Bears over the Steelers. You couldn't have paid me money to tell me that the Bears were going to beat the Steelers or even come close. Then the Patriots almost lost to the Titans. I mean, oh, the Texans. Almost lost to the Texans, right? Then you had the Jets beat the Dolphins. Jay Cutler being Jay Cutler. Now you tell me it's the Miami fans right now, right now in the stands going, we should have got Cavalry. I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you <laughs> right now. There's some, fans, there's some fans going to bed right now in Miami. Like, I mean – I mean, he is kind of standing for his rights. I'm telling you, I, I, they 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 rethinking it right now. I guarantee you. The so you, you're telling me that Miami fans right now are willing to put their politics aside and sign him up. Oh, we only talk about the first three games of the season. And remember, wait a minute, wait a minute. We talk about the first three games of the season. And remember, they missed the first game, so they only played two. Right? They only played two, but they lost to the Jets, and they're like, we can't keep doing that. They might be panicking. Let them go the next week. 
and lose to another scrubby team and watch them be like, hmm, you're going to start seeing some people in the stands wearing afros. You're going to start seeing people, <laughs> you're going to start seeing people sit down doing that on the Pledge of Allegiance. You're going to start seeing number seven jerseys. They're going to be like, what's that seven stand for? You're going to be like, huh? I'm telling you, watch. I'm telling you, I know it's crazy they can't do Miami really because they had the Castro jersey on. So maybe not Miami, but it's some fans thinking it. And I guarantee you, listen to Sports Talk Radio in Miami tomorrow, they're going to be like, we should get Kaepernick. Just listen to Dan Levitard. I'll tell you that's, that's what's going to happen. I guarantee you I'll talk about it. Let's see. Titans over the Seahawks. That was crazy. I wouldn't have picked, I wouldn't have picked the Titans over the Seahawks. Even though they were home, I wouldn't have picked that. And then, well, on the college oh, side, the you left out. The Packers left almost out. lost. Well, you left Oh, no, no, no. I'm getting to college in a second. Oh, okay, because, yeah, TCU, <laughs> TCU broke our hearts. We've been talking up yes. Oklahoma State for the last two or three weeks telling yes. everybody to listen. They're so, unstoppable. So, TCU, Oklahoma, North Carolina State beat Florida State. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, how far do we have to go back to when North Carolina State was beating Florida State? Wasn't that when y'all had the red shoe coach? The coach with the red shoes? Wasn't that back then, no, they, right? They've done it before that. They, they did it back then. But it was consistent. It was like a consistent thing then. It was like, yeah, North Carolina State got a good squad. You know what I mean? But come on, man. I looked at the thing. I'm like, wait a minute. Was that basketball preseason? They was like, nah, that was football. I was like, what? So you have Florida. Almost they struggled with Kentucky, right? Oh. All this stuff is spread stuff, too. This is spread. I mean, Vegas made money this weekend, okay? Then you had Penn State barely beat Iowa on the last play of the game. And then Arizona State beat Oregon. So, upstate, upset weekend. Like I said, it's some dudes that's broke. Pockets is low. Christmas is canceled. It's some women walking around. talking about what you got an attitude for. All I did was ask you if you wanted something to eat. You, you all had them conversations before. You know what I mean? I know so, exactly what you mean. Yeah, man. Like I said, it's some attitude going around today. But, you know, it's only, what, week three. We only in week three. Upset week happened already. And uh, there's some teams that's pretty upset. I think Florida State's out of it. There's no way they can win the ACC now. So, I don't know. You got some I'm feeling that. Well, I got, I got two questions because we're, we're talking about this this morning. With Florida State at 0-2, Florida State may well come back and, you know, things can fall their way and they can get back into this. But right now, who's the second-best team in the ACC behind Clemson? I want to say Miami, but I, I can't do it. You know, so so is it Virginia Tech? I, I mean, like, I, I, like, who knows? You know what I mean? Like, Miami's only played two games because they had the hurricane for two of their games. Right, but they one was a cupcake game and the other one was the Florida State game. But now Florida State doesn't even look important to them anymore. So then that's like you know, it's like I don't know. Do you go with a Virginia Tech or do you go with? I just say Clemson, and then I, the rest of them I just kind of look at like I can't go with Georgia Tech because I know that the option won't work. So you just say it's Clemson, and it doesn't matter who's second best. <laughs> <laughs> I want, I want, I want to have another team in the ACC. Like I want to be able to say, yeah, Miami's good. Like, I wanted to say Miami, Florida State, Virginia Tech, and Clemson. Like, I wanted to be able to say those schools like we normally can say. But we can't say it. Florida State that messed it up for everybody. <laughs> so now it's, you know, I'll tell you how bad it is. When you beat Florida State, it don't even look that good on your schedule anymore. So, so you know, now it's kind of it's trash. It's, the league is back to being trash again. You got one good team. You know what? We kind of like the SEC. <laughs> 
Cool, cause I don't get upset I kick a hole in the speaker, pull a plug, then I jet Back to the lab, without a mic to grab So then I add all the rhymes I had One after the other, another one To diss the opposite, then ask if Oh, how the mighty have fallen You know, we've been talking in here for a month About the ACC possibly being the best league in college football I'm not jumping the shark like Jay Bliss but he says Florida State's messed it up for everybody. It's I don't know that it's a mess. I think it's exciting. I look across and we're having a, a you know a debate about who's number two in the ACC and that means something. I don't know if that means a possible second team in the national playoff, but the ACC is a lot of fun this year. And how ironic is it that the team that dominated ACC football for so long is on the outside looking in for now? which really probably just means you're going to get them upset and they're going to come back and blow people's doors off. I don't know. Yeah, Florida State losing these games didn't help the ACC, but I'd hold back before I say that ACC is garbage again. I think that's taking a little too far there. It might surprise you, B, but I'm going to agree with you. Now, on the other hand, the Big Big Ten is making waves and there's some really wild stuff going on in the Pac-12. If you're listening on WDCC in the Sand Hills. Come on over to the internet with us. Check us out on the iTunes podcast app. You're listening to Krista Lambert and Brandon Adkins on From the Cheap Seats, a production of Cheap Seats Radio. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. I'm Chris DeLambert. I'm Brandon Atkins. I'm Professor Trent Nichols. Coming to you from the cheap seats. Welcome back, everybody. I am Chris Lambert. That's Brandon Atkins, Trent Nichols, and Dave Kaplan got left out in the cold in that one. I'm glad I did. That, wow. That stings a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and, and look, I'm a little sensitive today. I came in, I've got a little under the weather, and sometimes this taping goes really smoothly. And we sit down, and two hours later, we're out the door, and we're like, that was pretty good. I think we've been in here, what is it, like 5 p.m. already? Oh, my God. This has been something else. So I hope that the finished product is better than what we've suffered through in here, not the least of which is me hacking and sneezing. Well, we always... We always think it's going to be worse, and then we listen to it, and we're, and we're like, like oh. "God, we're the best radio we're show like, in the whole world." Oh, ever. Wait a minute, no, we're we're actually radio gods. That's what <laughs> we say to each other. That's what I say to you. Kaplan doesn't say anything like that to either one of us. He's like, "You guys are stupid," but at least you give me something to listen to while I work out. Yeah, but you, right. if you pump a little sound of David Kaplan talking, then his excitement. Right? That's all it takes to get him fired up. You know? <laughs> oh, look at it. Got, got Chris I choked up. I told you I was sick. He's choked oh, up. Oh, my gosh. Choked up. Ah. All right. So we got the first round of our expert picks in, and we had started this, Dave. You've been out of the studio for a couple weeks. Right. We kind of started this as a, a, 
an amalgamation of a bunch of different people. And there's one of our callers that has earned her way to her own segment. She doesn't need any more introduction. I think it's the best thing on the show. Not going to lie. Trent, let's see what Denise Galloway has to say about our picks this week. Greatest dancer and sports prognosticator. That's me. Denise Galloway. What does prognosticator mean? Is that good? Uh, that's somebody that predicts games. Oh, did I win? Uh, you did okay. You did okay. okay. You actually are the only one of our experts who picked <laughs> Texas Christian over Oklahoma State. Did you not know that? Um, no, I did not know that. Well. I'm I'm glad to be the bearer of good news. And as best I know, there was no funny business between the mascots for Mississippi State and the University of Georgia. Thank you. So goodness. I don't think there's any mascot babies on the way. <laughs> you never can be too sure. <laughs> Speaking of mascots, um, so there's a game that's the Lions and the Vikings. I don't actually know where these people are from. Do you know? The Lions are from Detroit. Mm-hmm. And the Vikings are from Minnesota. Okay, well, I just found out something very interesting. The world's first white ligers were just born. So like a lion and a tiger, if they have babies together, they're ligers, and that's pretty uncommon. But then it was a white lion and a white tiger, so they're the first white ligers. So in their honor, I must choose the lions. Very good. From Detroit. Wow. You you did some you did some legit research there. That's well, pretty cool. I just knew that because I was reading about it, and I, I they were really cute. The little pictures of them they're real cute. So, do they have manes or no? Well, they're babies, so they just have fuzz. Oh yeah, I guess that would make sense. I mean, we'll have to wait, and then we'll find out if they grow manes or not. I can't be sure. Very exciting news. Mm-hmm. I was pretty excited about that. I don't think you'll hear that on any other sports talk radio show in the entire country. So good for you. That was that was amazing. Cool. Yes, um, you're welcome. That's you know that was special sports um, talk just for like the, all the big cats um, teams like Panthers and all that, and the Lions. And there's probably other ones. There's probably Tigers. I'm going to guess. So will he, all of the, maybe? Will, will all of the the NFL teams this week that are named after big cats would will the the good juju associated with the birth of the white ligers, will that have a positive impact for all of them? I feel like that's a good guess, but the okay. question will be if it's two big cats playing against each other, just like we have Bulldogs versus Bulldogs, then it's really anybody's guess. Oh, oh wait, Clemson is a, is a cat too, isn't it? Yes. Well, yes. then we so I think I know which, have I to think, choose them. <laughs> I think you're definitely, all right, I can see a theme here. What kind, of, what kind of cat are they? They are tigers. Oh, how romantic. Well, then they definitely have to win because of the Ligers. And you um, you actually have picked Clemson successfully before. You picked Clemson really? over Louisville. You did. I think it's just because I've heard of Clemson before, so I feel I feel comfortable with them. Fair enough. <laughs> and then I, the other game that you have is Duke and Miami. But the question I have is, what Miami? Where Miami is the one Florida. in Florida? Because, definitely you know, there's some in Ohio, too. My, my grandfather was actually a Miami of Ohio alum. I see, but not a Miami Indian. No. Or was he that too? Because that would be no, cool. he was not. 
um, because that's my that was the thing that when I was trying to think of a good sports related tidbit for you this week, I was like wondering which Miami it was because there's Miami of Ohio and Miami in Florida and all that. What is Miami? What does it mean? Like so. I, I, I get you, and this is the Miami Hurricanes, uh, oh, located in Miami, oh, Florida. But get this, get this. When I looked up what the Miami Indians, like what that word means, um, it comes from a word that sort of sounds like Miami, but um, it means downstream people, like from the water. So then obviously the Hurricanes have to win too. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I am going to bet everything that I have in my savings account right now. <laughs> awesome. And I'm going to play a trifecta here, or uh, up a three-team a three team parlay. Like that was like amazing. With, with pirates, that kind of parlay? No, not exactly that type of parlay. Oh, okay. But I'll explain that to you next time around. Okay, great. I look forward to learning more about um, pirate things. All right, so to, to recap our picks, you have the mm-hmm. Lions over the Vikings because yes. of the birth of the Ligers. Yes. That same thought process carries over to Virginia Tech and, and Clemson. Mm-hmm. You're taking the mm-hmm. Tigers in that one. Yes. And in the final matchup, you are taking the Miami Hurricane over the Duke Blue Devils. Mm-hmm. Okay. Remember Texas Christian or something and the Devils? We, i got to stay consistent. I, I can dig that. Okay. Thanks for your time. This has been amazing. Thank you. I hope you call me again this time. Or does I call you? Denise Galloway, spitting straight fire. If you're looking for betting tips, no better place to get them. She's the only one of us that picked TCU over Oklahoma State. She's money. And it's hard to argue with the logic. Wouldn't you agree, Diamond Dave? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Down the screen. <laughs> I've, never, I've never picked a team because they're downstream. But I, The logic there kind of crossed me up because it's the downstream people. So, obviously, you picked the Hurricanes. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm down. Whatever. What would you do if you were walking down the street and you saw a liger? Come up to you. I hadn't thought about that. I don't well, know. I, I've I, seen. I think I've seen a few in Sanford. You know what I would do? <laughs> What's that? I would run downstream, yeah. away from it. Uh, Ligers. <laughs> that you were struggling. This has yeah, well. gone badly. I do want to know what the difference between a liger and a tie-on is because they're two entirely different oh, things. What? Well, and it has to do with which one is the mom and which one is the dad. It's a real thing. I bet you'll figure it out next week. Dave, you put ties on. Can you tell us? Oh, my God. (laughs) This started so promisingly with Denise Galloway coming in, trying to bring some humor, and now everybody's competing very badly to match (laughs) uh, what she was able to do there. Man. You you need to stump her next week with the uh, tie-on remark. I mean, that might really get her. um, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it. Everybody, everybody's got their input at this point. All right, so NFL. Let's recap what went down. We got a little bit of ahead of ourselves. The NFL. What game should we talk about first? I think the one that jumps out at me is Chicago, right. pulling one out of the hat against Pittsburgh. And for anybody that didn't see it, at the end of the half, Pittsburgh lines up to kick a field goal. Chicago blocks the field goal. Marcus Cooper snatches it up 
and is running it back for a touchdown and at about the seven-yard line just stopped. It was weird. It was beyond showboating. Brandon, we were watching it together, and you thought he like pulled up lame with a hammy or something. I thought it was, like, you know, because we were kind of in and out and kind of watching it from afar. I thought he had to, had to have blown an Achilles or something like that. But then we got closer, and he just stopped. Yeah, he was. It was. It was a showboating thing, and I don't. I've never understood that showboating thing. First of all, it's not as if he made eight moves and broke somebody's ankles. And did some. He scooped up a loose ball. He, he and, didn't even scoop it up. It just shot right to him. But there I mean, it was go. pretty impressive. And, you know, basically was ahead of the pack and just ran down there. So, nice play. Yeehaw, being in the right place at the right time. But then to pull up the way he did, it was a bizarre set of circumstances because the ball was then batted out by Pittsburgh at the, out of the back of the end zone after he fumbled at the one-yard line. And the referees signaled that it was the end of the half. Pittsburgh went into the locker room. Chicago went out there and was lobbying for a safety. I'm still not sure that the referees on the field got it right. But the referees said that the batting of the ball out of the back of the end zone constituted illegal touching and that the Bears would get the ball back at the one-yard line and that a penalty would be enforced to move the ball half the distance to the goal line and they'd get one untimed down. So Chicago comes back out on the field, lines up from the half-yard line, and at the time, the referees are signaling to start the play clock, and Pittsburgh is running out of the tunnel because they don't have any players on the field. They hold the snap long enough. Pittsburgh gets lined up. Chicago's taking a shot from the half-yard line to punch it in for a touchdown with no time left on the clock at the end of the half. And there's a false start on Chicago, and the the left side of the line moves. Five-yard penalty, they back it up, and they kick the field goal to end the half. Now, that four-point swing almost cost them the football game. Mm -hmm. And what got me was Marcus Cooper on the sideline with all of his teammates and coaches shaking his hand and patting him on the back and reassuring him, making him feel good about it. Dog. You know, I don't understand that. I was talking with Kaplan on the break. Um, what I've heard of some of these punt returners, kickoff returners, when they actually break a big run open, they're so excited in the crowd noise, and you got the jumbotron, you're looking up at yourself, and sometimes the urge is there to stop short. That's why all the good ones say, "Go ahead and just run through the back of the end zone." But I've, you know, I've never run. I, th- I tried to think about anything that I've ever ever done that that's stupid. Closest thing was maybe when I was hit- hitting a baseball and. I thought it was clearly a home run and it dropped short, but at least you can still make it to first. If you're like skipping around celebrating your home run, you can make it to first. You still the lesson it. the lesson to kids out there, whether it's your home run trot after the bat flip or whether it's pulling the pulling the break inside the five yard line, do like Forrest Gump. Right. And I bet Marcus Cooper will say. if he ever gets another chance to score a touchdown in the in the NFL. They need they right. need his signs. Run, stop, yes. keep going. <laughs> and just keep running. He needs Stole to do Bo Jackson and run down the tunnel. But what a a ridiculously bad play. And I'm not trying to come down on the young guy and and you know, he's a bad person or whatever, but it was a boneheaded play for all times. And he is just that fortunate that Chicago managed to hold on and win that ball game, which they ultimately did in in overtime. 
right. uh, with Jordan Howard sort of taking over the game. But it was just a bizarre set of circumstances at the end of the half. Well, and Chicago's not as bad as everybody thought they were going to be. They should have uh, be They careful. almost beat Atlanta Falcons. That would have been two really quality, quality wins. It really would have. And John Fox is doing a good job out there. They've got to develop something in the passing game. Injuries have decimated the receiving core. They've got real issues. But that two-headed monster that they've got coming out of the backfield with Jordan Howard and Tarek Cohen, it's nasty. Hmm. And it's two entirely different looks. How could they improve their passing game? Who could be on their team that could help (laughs) them out with that? I'm just wondering. Nah, you're – Well, you need receivers. How many more – got to have receivers. How many more games, though, till Mitch comes? Well, not anytime soon. Glennon got it done. But – Trubisky, the the clock is going. I would say that the over-under slid up a little bit. I would still say the over-under on that is probably week six and a half. That's a guess. What game jumps off the schedule at you, Trent, from this past week? Uh, I really enjoyed the uh, the Eagles and the Giants game. That was, was a, a crazy ball yeah, game, wasn't very, it? Very, very competitive. And in the end, you know, getting that 13-yard pass, and it's just like, whatever, dude. This is going to OT and... The kid knocked it out. Well, the Giants scored all their points in about a five-minute clump. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats from Sanford, North Carolina. I was stolen from my parents. I was imprisoned in a cramped cage and was touched and photographed completely against my will, solely for somebody's profit. Then I started to grow bigger, and they locked me away for life. If you knew that was the life of a tiger cub, Would you still pay to pet her? Learn how they're exploited through petting and photo ops at cubabuse.com. Hey Clarice, can we please put on the new Justin Bieber album? Hold on, Dad will be mad if we don't listen to From the Cheap Seats. Welcome back to From the Cheap Seats. So that's my favorite of everything so far with this new look. Yeah. I got a proud papa sitting over there. That was pretty dope. All right, so we're talking a little bit of football, talking about games that jumped out at us. Brandon, you and I watched the Saints and and Panthers together. And the Panthers, that's a team that's really just not found its rhythm yet. And I think you and I agree. We were talking with Capital a little bit. They need to figure out how to protect Cam. Right. Cam's got a unique skill set and can do a lot of things. But if you've got him looking down, trying to figure out where the rush is coming from post-snap, he's going to get you in trouble. Well, and see, the thing about it is he doesn't try to figure out where the pressure's coming. If you get behind Cam Newton, he, especially when he throws the long ball, he winds up like, I got not a problem in the world. He has zero pocket awareness. And, no, we were talking about Aaron Rodgers. You can't compare anybody to Aaron Rodgers – but at some point, you get, he's got to clean up two things. His pocket presence, I think they could protect him a lot better on the left-hand side um, of the line. But also, man, you need to make some passes, mid-range passes. You're just not throwing the ball to your, your receivers. And they're low. There's no rhyme or reason. They're just off. They're left, right, high, low. There's no one fixable problem. Well, you've taken his security blanket away, too. Greg yep. Olson's missing from mm-hmm. that lineup. I think they did make some strides this week trying to figure out how to use Christian McCaffrey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's an offense that's a mess. And the defense not making big plays. 
Um, you know, the glaring one this weekend, Luke Keekley dropped what would have been a pick six. But they're just, you know, other than Thomas Davis, that defense is not really performing at a high level. I was shocked a little bit, but maybe not, when you picked a game, Trent, and didn't go with Denver-Buffalo. That game made my head explode. I couldn't believe the final score in that ballgame. Well, I mean, this is just – it was a trap game. I mean, you're coming off a huge win off of the Dallas Cowboys. You got the Buffalo Bills coming up, but – Next week, they've got the Oakland Raiders. I mean, the issue that I saw with the game is Trevor Simeon can't play like that. Well, if, if he's going to be the guy, that is not going to be the way they're going to win ball games. Um, you know, their run game couldn't get it. Their offense was horrible, and that Vaughn Miller penalty honestly cost them the game, and that was not a penalty. Well, That's I'll, a tell you who Tre- I'll tell you who Trevor Simeon can beat playing it like he's playing now. He can beat the Oakland Raiders with Derek Carr playing like he played on Sunday night. And maybe they fell victim to it as well, peeking into the into the distance to that divisional matchup with Denver because they didn't show up against Washington. And you know, Kirk Cousins comes out puts up 350 plus and three touchdowns. You know, he's going to do that on occasion. Kirk Cousins has made a deal with the devil. I'm 100% certain of that. I watch him play football with the skill set he has in the system with the people around him, and I just don't understand how it's happening. Mm -hmm. But he's a good quarterback. He's a good quarterback. He's. I watched almost the entirety of that game. I'm impressed with Kirk Cousins now. Well, you need to pay that man. Somebody's going to pay him. Somebody's going to, and the folks that know him best are not. I don't think there's any chance Washington's going to pay him what he's looking for long term. We'll see how it all shakes out. Now, looking ahead to next week, there's some big matchups coming. What jumps out at you, Trent? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, the Denver Raider game is a huge game. I mean, because right now, Kansas City has probably been the most consistent team in the AFC West. I mean, potentially going into this week, you were looking at three teams could make the playoffs out of the West. Um, so we'll see which Oakland Raiders and uh, Denver Broncos show up, but this is going to be a, a real pivotal game for both of them. Dave, what do you got? Um, I think the Dolphins are terrible. <laughs> I mean, where are the guys? Where are the guys that puff their chest out about Cutler being such a great move? Do yeah, I, no, oh, no, I can see me. both of them. It was me too, dude. I tried to tell y'all Cutler is who Cutler is. Me and Chris well, were me and Chris were trying to tell y'all. Oh my god, they can't run the football and they can't score. And the Saints, who looked awful after the first two weeks, are getting ready to go two and two as they demolish the Dolphins next week. Well, the good news for Ohio sports fans is that the Battle of Ohio comes up next week, and Cincinnati and Cleveland both come in at 0-3. Somebody's got to get off the schneid. I'm going to tell you what, that Cleveland-Indianapolis matchup, I couldn't believe Indy jumped out on Cleveland the way they did. Cleveland showing some metal coming back. Weren't able to do it. I'll tell you, um, the other one I like is the Monday night Washington at Kansas City. I think it would be interesting to see how much better – because Trent and I were talking about Kansas City looks like they're about to dust that whole division. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't know. It's kind of hard to call from week to week, but Washington looked like world beaters last night. Well, we're going to find out. I'm going to take I, – I got Kansas City in that one. And I think Kansas City right now is sort of establishing themselves in the upper echelon in the AFC. I like Kansas City a lot right now. Um, that Tennessee-Houston matchup, that'll be fun. Tennessee has put together a nice collection of talent over the last couple of years. This week, that upset against Seattle, where they really handled Russell Wilson in Seattle, that could be a defining win for that ball club. They've been on the cusp, and last year had a, had a late shot to get into the playoffs. Tennessee could be a, a team on the come, but if they are, you've got to be able to travel down to Houston and do something with those Texans who put the fear of God into New England last week, and Bill O'Brien... I was screaming at you, Bill, through the television. You cannot kick a field goal to go up five with a minute and a half left in New England. I know. I was doing the same thing. No, this dude. I love the revisionist history is abounding today. <laughs> you had to go for that. Yeah. You're fourth and, fourth and half a yard. You got to do that. There was never any doubt in my mind Tom Brady was going to win that ball game, and he made it look pretty easy. Um but Houston really, really playing well. New England not. But also, you might want to go find where Cooks is and put a man on him. <laughs> I mean, who? Could, any one of us could have hit – I don't know if I could throw it that far, honestly, but wide open in yeah. the end zone, and it sailed a little bit. It took forever to get there, and it happened. So, I mean, I understand wanting to go for it. Maybe you can step on their throats, but you also got to defend. you got to have some faith in your defense. Well – Jeez. They had faith in their defense, and it didn't pay off. It didn't pay well. Pay off. Yeah, didn't pay off for them. All right, so going into next week, plenty of football coming. But Diamond Dave, yes, you've been here house. for hours, patiently waiting. Oh, we get to talk some golf. What, I got like 30 seconds? Yes, <laughs> 45 maybe, so get after it. All right, so Trent takes the beer. Trent's got the beer. Uh, Justin oh, Thomas, man. who I, I think has the, the best argument for player of the year, won the PGA, five wins this season, 12 top tens, uh, 10 million bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he edged out Jordan Spieth. It was pretty entertaining uh, on the back nine there, all these scenarios. But Xander Shaffley won the uh, golf tournament, mm-hmm. and re- he'll be rookie of the year for sure. And uh, jumped all the way from 26th in the FedEx standings up to third for two million bucks. Nice. So it pays out like this: ten million to to the winner of the FedEx, which was Justin Thomas. That's really nice. Uh, Jordan Spieth three million in second, and then Xander at two million. Dustin Johnson one point five million. John Rahm finishes fifth and still still gets a million bucks. And it goes all the way down. And, and Brandon alluded to this, I think, a couple weeks ago. Everybody gets paid. If you made the playoffs, you get paid, I think, at least $32,000. Uh, so, pretty good payoff. I will tell you, my the stud, my racehorse, Hideki Matsuyama, did nothing in the playoffs. He he started at first and finishes eighth. Just blah, blah, blah. He didn't do anything. I don't but know. just to clarify, he gets paid, too. Oh, yeah. I think like $600,000 <laughs> for yeah, finishing eighth. Yeah. A couple yeah. weeks' work. But, Dave, speaking of payoffs, Trent won. What do you get for second place in our competition? Well, you got second, Brandon. You get nothing. You get to buy Trent a beer. 
So this is the exact opposite of the FedEx. <laughs> right. Yeah. Everybody gets paid. Nobody gets paid but the winner. You, you can take a sip out of the beer you buy them. How about that? Ooh. Yeah. But but we also let's we we'll make that short because we got a big uh, big golf event this weekend. Yes, sir. Yeah, the Presidents Cup, and it's played up at Liberty National, uh, New Jersey. New see the skyline of New York City. It's, it's a cool, cool golf that, course. Do you, how, how many of the uh, American team members do you think will be kneeling during the national anthem? <laughs> I think they'll all stand proud, my friend. <laughs> Uh, that's a little different mentality on the PGA Tour, I believe. Um, but what I will say is the American team has six first-time players. So that's out of 12 on the team. So half their team are rookies. Well, you know, you know, Dave, and I, meant to, I wanted to ask you about this as I'm watching the FedEx Cup, and we've talked about it with the sort of the American young guns, but I'm looking at it and I'm like, am I getting old or the American golfers getting younger because it does seem like there's an there's a higher density of twenty somethings, right? You oh, know, there's a lot of them at the top of their game in in terms of American golfers. Well, and, and, and you look at some of these young time. guys. You got Daniel Berger who who had a tremendous season. Kevin Chapel played great this season. Charlie Hoffman's got a little age on him. He's in his thirties. Uh, he's kind of been – you would have thought he would have been there by now. God, Brooks, Brooks that makes Kepka. you feel old when somebody says he's got some age on him. He's in his well, 30s. Well, I mean, comparatively speaking, yeah. No, I'm with you. Uh, Kevin Kisner, first-time player, and then Justin Thomas, first-time player. And he's 23, 24, something like that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. There, there was a little bit of dilemma uh, for Stricker to pick Phil Mickelson. But you see why he did. Phil Mickelson's 23-16-2. I think he's played in every President's Cup that's been out there. But you look at the team, I mean, other than that, Dustin Johnson's 4-4-1, Jordan Spieth's 5-4-0, Ricky Fowler 1-3. I mean, there's just not not much uh, experience on that team. We'll see you on the other side. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more golf, and maybe we won't. You're listening to Krista Lambert and Brandon Adkins on From the Cheap Seats, a production of Cheap Seats Radio. Hello, I'm Rob Beckley, lead singer of the band Pillar. I served in the Army Reserve for eight years and it taught me lessons in teamwork, leadership, and organizational skills that I still use today. Serving part-time in the Army Reserve also offers skill training, money for college, and bonuses up to $20,000. So if you're up to the challenge, talk to your local Army Reserve recruiter today or check us out online at GoArmyReserve.com. You too can be Army strong in the Army Reserve. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats with Chris DeLambert and Brandon Atkins. You may not like your seats, but you'll love the show. All right, we got about half an hour to go left from the cheap seats. I'm Krista Lambert, Brandon Atkins, Trent Nichols, and Diamond Dave Kaplan. We're going to put a bow on our preview for the President's Cup, and then we're going to do a little bit of soccer. And as promised, and if you don't want to listen to soccer and golf, go ahead and fast forward. I'm just playing. The don't last segment, we're going to have a free-for-all, and we're going to have a throwdown over this whole Trump versus Steph Curry and LeBron thing. Um if you've stuck around this long and you want to hear it, hang out for another 15 minutes. That's a, that's a teaser right there. Yeah, and, and I <laughs> promise you I know at least one person who is going to disappear from the studio before we start that conversation. 
That's going to be me. No, yeah, but I'd like to be a part of it. I well, just I just got other things to do. I hear you. Nice, yeah. cool story, bro. Yeah. All right, talk to us. Give us a couple minutes about the international team, right? And well, your feelings about some of those guys. If you look at the uh, FedEx Cup results and you look at the American team compared to the international team, you would say that the American team has a huge advantage. I don't think America. so. America, America, yeah, standing up for the flag. But I think the international team uh, is going to – I think they're going to play strong. I mean, look, Mark Leishman, winner a couple weeks ago. Jason Day, you know, number one player in the world a couple years ago. He's shown some signs of form. Brandon Grace has been around for a while. They do have some new players, Emiliano Grillo and Adam Hadwin. I think they need one Canadian player, so that's why Adam's on the team. Um, Siwoo Kim – uh, Lahiri's 0-3. He played on the team. I think he's from India uh, last uh, two years ago. Didn't fare too well. Mark Leishman, we talked about that. Masayama, you know, one of the best players in the world, although he didn't show up in the FedEx playoffs. That's my disgusted voice. Uh, Louis <laughs> Ustazen, 5-3-2. and two. Uh, good record. He's a competitor. He's, he's one I would not want to draw a singles match with. Charles Swartzel, you know, former Masters winner. Adam Scott, who's played in 35 matches in the President's Cup, so he's got a lot of experience Adam Scott there. seems like he's been around forever, didn't he? Yeah, he, well, he has been. Have so you, so have, I think they got some experience. I think they have a, a good balanced team. They might not have the overall talent, but I think it's going to be a lot closer than a lot of people. I think. heard a rumor, and I need to, to confirm this or you know squash the story. Sure. But is it true that you had considered renouncing your U.S. citizenship to become <laughs> a citizen of Costa Rica – to play in the President's Cup representing the international team in Costa Rica specifically. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and put those rumors to rest. No, I never considered that. Okay, I just heard it. No, okay. I, I heard it. I don't remember where I heard it from. Oh, yeah, that's pretty interesting. But can you imagine, B.A., if they had the power of Kaplan on that international oh, team? That would be fantastic. Dude. I'd be a heck of a cheerleader. Dave, awesome. Costa Rica, though, man. Think about that. Oh, Costa Rica. I could Belize? Do a little Belize, yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. All right, are we done talking about golf? Sure. Then it's time th- to talk. Look, oh, I still think the U.S. team is going to win, but I think it's going to be a lot closer than a lot of people I think, think you're wrong. I think the U.S. wins this in a blowout. Brandon? U.S. in a blowout. America! America! No, <laughs> with that, let's talk about – America's pastime. Soccer. Run that tape. <laughs> That's my theme music. Every good hero should have some. Well, it's a long ball through. And oh, my God. God. An insane goal. I'll just say the most insane goal I have ever seen on a football pitch. Incredible. Incredible. Slatan Ibrahimovic. World. World class. Again, we start. Let me say my part. On the phone with me. Major James Perry. What's going on, James? Hey, Chris. Hey, Chief Seaters. This week, I wanted to talk to you in regards to relegation. This is a major point for MLS, and they're looking at changing to the system from a normal system as we see now, regular season, preseason, playoffs, into a relegation system. What that would mean is quite a few things would change. First thing that would change is how the teams are set up. So as it is right now, we have teams that sit in MLS. When they win, they just win and they get a certain pocket of money and they go into the playoffs and they do the same thing there. With relegation, although, it would be and there would be no playoffs. So what would happen is, is if right now the MLS is a, the major division here in the U.S. 
In the Division Two, you have NASL featuring teams like New York Cosmos and the North Carolina FC. Then you have USL, who's also a Division Two, featuring New York Red Bulls Two and the Charlotte Independence. Beneath them would be Division Three, and ISA is a National Independent Soccer Association, which still isn't actually established. They've established themselves, but they haven't started this season. They won't start till 2018, featuring teams from Carolina, Charlotte, as well as a team from my Milwaukee. Now, the ISA, is that going to be semi-pro, or would that be a professional league as well? And therein is where the question falls, Chris, is right now they're most likely looking at semi-pro. But at the same time, with it being a Division T, Division three team under MLS, they should really be considered a lower league pro team. But such is the problem that they have. Not to mention, you still have the USL. Now, instead of two different divisions, you've got three different divisions. You've got Division Division one in MLS, Division two with two different conference, two different leagues going, as well as Division three with two different leagues going. So the question would be, how would you run the system? If a team was to get relegated at the very bottom of what you would call the table or what we call the standings, do they go to NASL or USL? If they're in Division Two and they get relegated, do they go to NISA or do they go to USL? In 2016, MP and Silva actually offered a $4 billion TV deal that the MLS turned down. Now, there's also, of course, pros and cons to the system. The pro being steel sharpens steel. Great teams will only become greater with greater competition. You have more opportunity for lower league teams. The club's funding will actually assist other teams in the lower in the lower division if they're in the league at that particular time and they make it through. And it would actually that four billion dollars would actually change the way that we do the youth system as we have now. At the moment, it's pay to play. With four billion dollars pushed into the U.S. system, we could change from a pay to play to an open play where any and everybody can play the game. The cons, of course, though, would be you get less quality from lower league teams. The lower league teams come up, and they get their butt handed to them for the most part, depending on how their team is set up. The relegation could also hurt said markets, strong markets such as, let's assume New York City FC has a hard year, and they fall to the bottom of the table and they get relegated. Now they're no longer competing. Now, they look worse to the city's team, and the city's going to go elsewhere for their fandom. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add something in there, because I've got the solution. When you ask about two Division twos and two Division threes, with the way the structure is, those need to be regionalized. And the reason for that is one of the biggest strains financially on our minor league systems is travel. And I think it's inconceivable to, to expect minor league franchises at say the division 3 level in Charlotte North Carolina you said one of the one of the proposed teams would be in Charlotte um yep. to be able to go out and travel to the west coast to make a west trip, west coast run you've got all the travel expenses you've got all the overnight whereas if you split the country in half and as far west as a team from North Carolina needed to go with say Missouri then you're looking at most of those they could do in day trips or, even if they had to stay, you're still limiting the amount of travel that needs to be executed. Does that make sense to you? That makes absolute sense. And I, I'd actually do you one better in regards to that. Not only would we do that, would I, my suggestion be that same piece, but as well as instead of having each team that is in a different division for said state, for example, North Carolina FC, Charlotte Dependents, and Charlotte, 
respectively in NASL, USL, and, and ISL. If you had one team feed the next team, Charlotte feed Charlotte Independence, Charlotte Independence feed North Carolina FC, you'd also be able to cut down costs because now you already now know you have 11 men you need to take from point A to point B as opposed to you have two different teams because if Charlotte Independence do well and North Carolina FC do well, now they're both promoted into the MLS and you have two teams in the very same state. Most likely they're almost the exact same location varying with Charlotte and Raleigh in respect. So you're 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 saying that there should be a relationship between these minor between these teams at the different levels. That to me gets a little dicey. I I, I understand your thinking, but I think I would prefer to have these as standalone soccer teams. And you and I have talked at length about it. I think that established teams, when MLS looks at expansion, I think it's foolish for them to start these teams from the ground up from nothing. You don't have an established fan base. You don't have a brand. You don't have a, a, a built, uh, a constructed player pool already. It would seem to me to make a whole lot more sense when MLS does these next round of this next round of expansion to look at existing clubs to bring on up to MLS. North Carolina FC, for one, why not just bring them up as they stand now and bring them up to MLS rather than reinventing this and creating a brand new team from nothing. And to piggyback on that, with the expansion efforts, it doesn't make any sense to me that MLS keeps expanding into the same markets that all of the other major league sports for, uh, uh, leagues already have franchises. Why is there not a team in San Antonio? Why not put a team in Tulsa? Why not put a team in El Paso? El Paso is largely Hispanic population. They would rally behind that team like nobody's business. Then you've got smaller market teams that have been doing it for years, Rochester being one. You've got Charleston Battery. Those teams have shown they can compete with MLS teams when given the opportunity in the U.S. Open and things like that. Why not let these teams compete and have an opportunity to accede into MLS. I'm sure that they would, would relish the opportunity. And what you said with the television contract, if $4 billion can be infused into American soccer, there's plenty of money there to prop up these teams at the lower level, but allow them to piggyback onto the television contract. We've got all kinds of garbage sports on television all the time. Second league soccer is better than a lot of stuff we're being force-fed on sports television. And with that, I'll let you close and give your final thoughts. I think these are all good points, Chris. But as always, it's been a pleasure, and this has been Just Soccer Fix. All right. We will continue the conversation at a later date. Man, we appreciate it. Major James Perry, rocking it out. Give me a hula before you get off the line. Hula! All right. So I want to say a couple things about the MLS. First of all, I think that American soccer has been on the cusp for years. To get taken seriously, a couple of things need to happen. First of all, one of these domestic competitions other than the MLS championship needs to become a viable thing. And there needs to be some real marketing thrown behind it. MLS can't get out of their own way. They need to sign one gigantic television contract. And it needs to extend to the smaller market teams. I would watch North Carolina FC on television regularly. I will not go fight traffic and go to games up in Raleigh at the soccer park. I'm not going to do it. However, if there's a big U.S. Open match or something of that nature, I'll make my way up there. I've been up there to see him play L.A. Galaxy and so on and so forth. But we just can't get it right. Um, 
I think it's inevitable, though, that relegation in some form or fashion become part of the process. Of course, I'm saying that, and I'm not one of the owners paying a bazillion dollars for a franchise and then being at risk every year of moving down into the second division. I think you can fix that with television contracts and so on and so forth. And as long as there's something to play for as a second or third level team, I think it would be okay. But, you know, the economics are what the economics are. So, yeah, and I agree that – but if you do the the relegation, it just adds more teams and it adds more popularity into towns that may not have it. And, you know, I think it's good because the soccer fans are used to it if they're watching the Premier League or whatever. So it adds that tie to the American soccer. It kind of lines them up a little bit. Well, let's put it in better. terms – let's put it in real-world terms. The Durham Bulls just won – the International League Championship. Mm-hmm. Who cares? I mean, they just won the championship of the second best league in baseball. Yeah. So what? Now, if the Durham Bulls were playing for an opportunity to be in the MLB next year, that's an entirely different animal. Mm-hmm. And you take that with the Carolina Railhawks, who are now North Carolina United or North Carolina FC. That's something real. That's something people will get behind and throw money at. Playing mired in a league where there's nowhere to go, no upward mobility, is kind of silly. Yeah. And there's some things that they could do with the CONCACAF championships and the U.S. Open Cup and those things, but MLS just can't get out of their own way. American soccer, hire me. I've got the answers for you. I'm serious. I did my master's thesis on CONCACAF and a new marketing strategy. We're going to wrap up. It's Trump versus Curry. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats from Sanford, North Carolina. Everyone deserves a decent place to live. Everyone. Decent shelter is something we all need to thrive. Through shelter, we empower. Visit Habitat.org to donate today. My name is Forrest, Forrest Gump. My mom always told me, you don't have to sit down close to see the action. Sometimes it's better from the cheap seats. And that's all I got to say about that. Welcome back to From the Cheap Seats. All right, I have tried to stay out of the social media debate that's going on about players sitting, kneeling, staying in the locker room, and all the rest of this as it applies to the national anthem. I can't hold my tongue anymore. I really can't. Because what's been invoked now is that somehow someone that doesn't show appropriate respect for the national anthem is anti-military. And that's a talking point more than it is reality. And here's what I need to say, and I swear I hope I can do this without you know, sounding as though I've got my chest puffed out and that I'm coming off as holier than thou. I spent 20 years in the United States Army. It was the highlight of my adult life up to this point. I was honored to serve, and in the twilight of my career or my adult life, when the national anthem comes on or – when the Pledge of Allegiance is said at a public event, I stand at attention and I render a hand salute. That doesn't make me any more or less patriotic than 
a person sitting to the left of me or the right of me or standing or whatever the case might be. I will tell you this, holier than thou folks out there in Radio Land. All of my life, from the time I very first put on that uniform, I've been to events, whether it's professional sporting events or high school events or little league games or anything in between, where out of the corner of my eye, as I really felt what was going on with the national anthem, where I've watched you not get off your cell phone, not stop the conversation you had about whatever innocuous thing you were talking about, or watch your kids running up and down the aisles, not paying any attention to what's going on. I've watched you not even be willing to take your hat off, but now anybody that doesn't stand and recognize the national anthem and respect the flag the way you see fit is somehow less patriotic than you and you want to take a stand. I have an issue with that. You could make an argument that the people kneeling for the national anthem are respecting it more than the people that just talk through it on their cell phones. You could. Because it's meaningful. They know it. The people who are protesting know that it's meaningful and carries weight. Otherwise, they wouldn't kneel during it. I, that is part of the point that I'm trying to make is we've taken this that is meaningful to a lot of people, to most of us. We recognize it, but a lot of folks stand up like robots when they hear the first bar of the national anthem because it's an expectation. Standing up on cue is not showing respect as far as I'm concerned. Giving thought to the meaning and how things could be perceived about what you're doing during the national anthem or the Pledge of Allegiance, that's a whole nother level. See, and that's where, you know, I think that in my time of watching sports, Chicago and the Chicago Blackhawks do it right. They cheer during the national anthem and they cheer loud when you hear, and the flag was still there. They, they go bonanza. You know, it's the greatest spectacle to witness and more pride shoots through you being a part of that national anthem than I've ever been to at any sporting event. I love the U.S. men's national team where the fan clubs that follow the team around the world sing the song at the top of their lungs. Mm-hmm. The flags come out and they're waving. However... I'm not ready to condemn anybody, whether it was Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf when he played with the Nuggets, who got run out of the NBA, whether it was Colin Kaepernick when he started us on this journey that we're on now, or any of the players that have come behind. We talked about Colin Kaepernick's actions when this kicked off and said, hey, son, you're exercising your First Amendment rights but you have to be prepared for everyone else around you to exercise their rights. Whether it was the people and their First Amendment rights coming down on you for doing it, or whether it was the owners saying, hey, we're not gonna give this guy a job. That's their rights as Americans too. But what needs to happen is that in a time where everybody's so focused on this, We need to have a national dialogue about why this is happening. And you can't just discount this and say these guys that are not standing for the national anthem are anti-American or they don't get it. 
Well, and I, I agree with that. And for me, it was confusing when Kaepernick was doing it for the first time because if you just read the national anthem, the words, the lyrics, I don't see how you make that tie to what you're protesting now. But see, the, all that's been redefined by all the people who are doing protesting. And I think that's where the huge divide is. Is There's two arguments being had, and no one's listening to each other. And and go ahead, Chris. You, got you hit it on the head. There are two entirely separate arguments going on, and everybody involved on both sides would be well served to shut up and listen. Because the NFL players are not protesting military action. They're not. This isn't the military the has nothing War. to do with this. Nothing. But at the same time, the flag and the national anthem really don't have anything to do with it either. Yeah, but that's why it started off being confusing because the national anthem plays and then you have a military flyover. There's You can't say the national the national anthem does isn't strongly tied to our country and our military, but it doesn't matter now because that whole protest has been redefined. They don't care if you think that. But they're using what they have to be able to make a stand against something, whether it's the right way or the right time it's or tri- not. It's not even about whether it's making a stand against something. Who fussed when J.J. Watt used his celebrity to raise tens of millions of dollars for Houston hurricane mm-hmm. victims? He used his platform as a celebrity in this day and age of mass media to get something done that he felt was good. Yeah. There is a significant segment of society that look at Colin Kaepernick and the folks that have come behind him and say, you know what? That's the same thing. We feel victimized here. And then you have another segment on the other side of this who feel like, nope, you just want to complain. Here's what I have to say, and I thought long and hard about this as to whether I was going to say this on the radio or not. I'm going to say it. My wife and I, my wife is a black woman. I have been a part of raising her three children. I have also raised my own four blonde-haired, blue-eyed daughters. I have to say this. When my 17-year-old daughter leaves the house In the evenings, the concerns that I have to have about her well-being are completely different than when one of my wife's kids leaves the house. Mm -hmm. That's a fact. That's not speculation, and it's certainly not unique perspective for me, but that's the type of thing that you have to look at. And if I'm going to have a conversation with my children— versus my wife's children as to how to react in certain situations, it's a different animal. I have never once been concerned that any of my four children, my four biological children, was going to end up in an altercation with police that might end badly for them just because. Yeah. We can't say the same on the other side of this argument. And that's just a fact, period. Why can't we have this dialogue? I haven't seen, maybe I have seen. There are some rational arguments being made, and maybe they're just not loud enough. Because if you listen to deep thinking, eloquent people involved in this argument, they're not screaming out against police. 
What they want the attention put on is to bad police officers. I don't see a problem with that. Yeah. I've been I spent 20 years in the United States Army and I would tell you that 95% of the people I ever served with, I would classify as heroes. Does that mean that just because they put on the uniform that that other 5 or 10% were not dirtbags and bad human beings? Of course. And at some point in most cases, we found a way to get them out of the army. Period. Just because you put on a blue uniform does not make you a hero. It's the things that you do once you're inside that. Certainly, it's a noble, honorable endeavor to want to be a part of something good, but everybody ain't cut out for that, man. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. There's a lot of technical expertise in handling conflict resolution and things like that that come with, and everybody ain't going to do it well. So we can't defer to the police in every single situation. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt every single time. But when the facts are what they are, you have to look at it objectively. So if they protested in like, you know, if a linebacker from the Pittsburgh Steelers protested in front of the Pittsburgh Police Department, would it have gotten this much publicity as then unfortunately them kneeling during the national anthem. I don't think so. And that's why I'm willing to look across and say, you know what, Colin Kaepernick, as misguided as I thought you were in the beginning, congratulations. You've given us the opportunity to start a national dialogue about something that needs to be spoken about. Mm -hmm. But then right behind it, Brandon, you and I talked about this last night, and I'm not going to put you on blast, and I don't want to misconstrue anything, but you said, Chris, this is a complicated situation. It is. And I don't know what the right answers are. It's, and that's, it's complicated because I see the answer, you see the answer, but there's a ton of people that don't see the answer. Absolutely. And that's frustrating, and it's complicated um, to try to explain to these people because all of a sudden it's black or white to them and you fall on one side of the issue or the other. Right, and, and that's somebody made the statement to me yesterday, I don't trust anybody that doesn't take a stand one way or the other. And there's plenty of middle ground to be had here. The problem as I see it is that people on the extremes of this argument are driving the conversation, sucking the oxygen out of the room. And the folks that, uh, those of us that can see it and say, you know what? There's a little bit of right on both sides. Let's overtime. Let's keep this going. We'll come back after the break. We can't stop there. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats. You're listening to Krista Lambert and Brandon Adkins on From the Cheap Seats, a production of Cheap Seats Radio. Hello, I'm Rob Beckley, lead singer of the band Pillar. I served in the Army Reserve for eight years and it taught me lessons in teamwork, leadership, and organizational skills that I still use today. Serving part-time in the Army Reserve also offers skill training, money for college, and bonuses up to $20,000. So if you're up to the challenge, talk to your local Army Reserve recruiter today or check us out online at GoArmyReserve.com. You too can be Army strong in the Army Reserve. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats with Chris DeLambert and Brandon Atkins. You may not like your seats, but you'll love the show. All right. Chris,
Kristen Lambert, Brandon Atkins, Professor Sweet Nichols back with an unexpected segment. Um, didn't know this was going to go quite this way, and I'm not trying to upset anybody. I know I got a little carried away, but I'm going to continue on. We were talking throughout the day during the breaks about the videos out there of people burning their season tickets. Um, I've gotten texts and seen Facebook posts from dozens, literally, of people who told me that they've canceled the Sunday ticket. I get it. And if you feel that strongly, then you're absolutely 100% justified in doing that. But here's what the point I was trying to make is, Brandon, you said it's complicated. There's a lot of things going on. People very, feel very strongly one way or the other. I couldn't agree more. I don't have the answers. Right. I, I don't pretend to. I don't pretend that, that for me personally, there is something visceral that goes off. If I see somebody do something that I feel is disrespectful to the flag or the national anthem, this is a unique set of circumstances. Right. I don't expect Trent to have the right answers. What I expect us to do is to do what we feel is the right thing in our little vacuum and take responsibility and, and kind of think about how it impacts everything around us. And we got to know how to move forward, too. And I don't want to get off topic because you're on a roll. But, you know, the national anthem is something that's special to me. When I'm at games, I get cold chills. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a dialogue about two or three weeks ago. I don't think it got a lot of play. But they were like, why do we even do the play the national anthem at the games Stop. anyway? And yeah. that's the one element that's kind of scary to me. Because you have a bunch of idiot media types. First, first of all, it's sad enough that we have twenty somethings that play a game have to be the one to raise awareness about police brutality. Our political leaders should be doing that for us, the people that we look to for leadership. And I'm forced to like watch, you know, a third string quarterback. And you know, I'm not forced, but you know what I'm saying. It's sad that that's the source it comes from in the very beginning. When we're really looking for leadership and we're clearly not getting it on this but, topic. And that's the thing that is really, I mean, you know what? If this weekend wouldn't have happened a year from now, this thing might have all been gone. But we're looking for a leader. Who is our leader? And that's where we're going with this. But that, And that's the problem, though. We've got the leader of our nation stirring the pot and causing more damage than offering us a peaceful solution to get us through this. And that's where I was going with it when I said none of the three of us have to get it perfect. None of us can wrap our hands around how complicated an issue this is. But the one most important person in this country that can't get it completely wrong got it completely, absolutely 100% wrong this weekend on so many different levels. And I've made jokes about it. And I actually told my wife at one point, I said, you know, that's why your grandma is not allowed to use Twitter. <laughs> I, wh- I, I, we're in bizarro world. He's not even smart enough to go the KD route and use his burn account, you know? Well, KD's not smart enough to go the KD <laughs> yeah, exactly. route and use his burner account. Here's the thing is this all started out with Steph Curry and Steph Curry saying during an interview, I'm hesitant to go to the White House. Our team is going to have a meeting about this on Saturday, and we're going to talk about it, and said, I'm going into the meeting with an open mind. Now, from my perspective— and were I the communication director of the White House, 
or whether I was the president, why not open a dialogue with Steph Curry, who's one of the most powerful media figures out there, whether we like it or not? That's what happens with our athletes, especially in this day and age of instant media. But instead, President Trump comes back and says, oh, you're hesitant? No invitation anymore. You can't come to the White House. Well, when we were well, watching, in what possible universe could that possibly have been seen as the right answer? When in, we were when watching you're in the preschool, game, huh, when you're in preschool and you're a four-year-old pouting about not getting the toy you want. When we were watching the game, I leaned over and told you, or I said something to to like something like this: the only person on earth that could make Roger Goodell look good right now is Donald Trump, and he did it because he comes out with a statement saying, "I'm proud of my league." You know what I mean? It gave him the opportunity he desperately needed to show some, you know, unity with his own players, the own product on the field. I will say you're absolutely right. <laughs> the statement that came out from Roger Goodell to me kind of laughable yep. frankly but it paled in the comparison to what it was coming down from the president and at the same simultaneously with all of this going he decides to take on the NFL you jumped ahead I'm because sorry. the Steph Curry engagement was one piece of it and then the president tweets out that it used to be an honor to visit the White House. LeBron, the only person in sports bigger in terms of a social media presence, comes off the top rope and says, it used to be an honor before you showed up. Yeah. So now you've engaged these two media titans with millions of followers, educated or not, who are on you. And then doubles down by calling out the NFL and says that fans should walk out of stadiums and boycott these teams that are kneeling for the national anthem. Now, I want to take this one step further. Here, right here at home, it was just a couple weeks ago, we had an employee from Lee County Schools that suggested that players that knelt for the national anthem ought to be shot mm. and killed. That's the type of vitriol that this nonsense coming from Washington starts. We've got to shut the hell up and listen. Well, I think where some people are like, okay, we get it now and come on, move on. I'm not in that category, but I am curious to see how this is all what accomplishment. And it might not be something you can hold on to or, or see. But now I'm seeing clips of, like, uh, kids in the third grade football team, their parents are having them kneel during – I didn't even know they played national That's the anthems. natural progression. And truth be told, if you were watching closely enough during basketball season right here at home, there were players that did not stand for the national anthem. What do you expect to happen? People are going to mimic that. Now you've started a movement, and the president is getting exactly the opposite reaction that he thought was coming. Is it going to hurt the NFL in terms of season ticket sales and, and viewership? Perhaps. You know what? They got a pretty big cushion to operate with. Yeah. They're going to be all right. I just, I, I guess the main point is it would have been so easy for him to. Come out with this, um, Donald Trump to come out with a statement that would have 
calm the situ- situation down a little bit. And that's all where we're kind of – and his goose is cooked because I'm just reading now the – the great Tom Brady has come out and said that they were divisive comments. And right. it was it was like all in the media about how much Robert Kraft and Brady supported Trump going into the election. Everybody's got enough common sense to realize what he said about the mothers of the players in the league and things of that nature have no business in the White House. The, the, what you said was that he needed to make a statement to calm the situation. I don't even know that that was necessarily the point. He could have let this ride out. Yeah. But he felt compelled to throw gasoline onto a fire and further divide the country. And I'm not up here to say that, you know, Steve Bannon is a white supremacist or that there's some sort of conspiracy or that anybody is a racist or a bigot. What I'm saying is the doggone White House has exercised stupid judgment. And I don't know what the end game is here. Me neither. And the other thing, too, is I'm surprised about all the shock about his comments. I'm like, you realize that this is the same person that said, I'll just grab him in the business before the election, and he still got elected. And it also makes me wonder the, the question, because he could be doing great stuff with the economy. I don't know. The he business is, is good. Look, the, the debt, for the first time in years, actually shrank. Between January and July, that's by over hundred about. million dollars. That's legit. That happened. And whether you want to attribute it to policy or whatever the case may be, or just dumb luck, it really did happen. Yeah, the, for the first time ever. You everybody's seen the debt clock, and it's going up, and it's going up, and it's going up. It actually went down it over came a six down, month period. And then Dow's that's crazy. Dow, Dow's over twenty two thousand. He could be doing great things. He just. It, I, you know, it used to be back in the day, Al Franken came out with that book, It's the Economy Stupid. He should really sh- should have stuck to that. You know what I mean? Because anybody who, as a president, tweets anything negative, get out of here with that. You know, you need to have a fireside planned program meeting with the country and help work our way through all this. Calm us on both sides because clearly, because I've not seen you get – as upset about anything uh, as this topic, it's ruffled a lot of feathers, and that's probably not even the best way to put it. Well, I have been accused before of having anger management issues, but no, I, I don't get too excited. I don't think about very many things, but I have to say this with regard to what's going on right now, I, and, and I'm going to tell you, and they may have already tuned out if they were listening, folks that come down on the side of the president here and feel the same way. I recognize your right to feel that way. And I'm not saying that to be patronizing. If you feel compelled to turn the NFL off and never watch it again, good on you. If that's what your principles tell you to do. But at the same time, while you do that, step back and figure out why is it worth all of this hoopla? Why are these players going to these extremes? And yes, certainly there are some that probably don't understand all the nuances. But if you think that young black men don't feel that they're not getting a fair shake in America right now. You've got to come out of your cocoon and pay attention to what's and going on. Check it out. And I dropped this grenade in it yesterday. I said, what if Aaron Rodgers had been the very first person to kneel? Would have been a completely different animal. And it'd be a little bit different for the president to take on Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or someone of that ilk than it would be for Colin Kaepernick. Now, you say it's because, well, Aaron Rodgers is good. 
I disagree with you. It's man. part of it, though. I I just disagree with you. I think that the institution versus a young black male is an easy fight to have. I think for them to take a stand against Aaron Rodgers, who's the all American white guy, is a is just a different. Hold thing. up. Now you're saying if Glennon had kneeled, Mike Glennon. He wouldn't have got bounced right out of Chicago. Give me a break. He may well have. So, I, yeah, I guess th- that's fair. That's fair. So there certainly are, are other variables there. But it's a um, it, it's a complicated situation. But the bottom line is we've got to talk this through and we've got to listen. And, yes, I get that many of these episodes where it's been a cop shooting a young black male in the end was perhaps justified. But how many of them have to occur before you're like, you know what? Ain't all of these justified. Right. You know, maybe somebody was a little bit too excited. The Michael Bennett issue out in Seattle. If people don't know, Michael Bennett was in Vegas. His story is that he was accosted by the police, picked up as part of a mob as they were fleeing after they heard gunshots, and wound up on the pavement with a gun to his head, and has since... Hired an attorney is going to prosecute a lawsuit against the Las Vegas police, perhaps. But he wrote an open letter to America, and it just kind of got lost in the shuffle. And you have to ask yourself, if it can happen to a young multimillionaire like Michael Bennett, who who's who can it happen to? Well, and, we, and you already made, made mention of it. We love good police officers. There's You're oh, underpaid. Hell yeah. You're underpaid, <laughs> thankless job. I, I will say one time they uh, police officer mistook my car for somebody else who had done something, and I got pulled. You talk about being afraid, though. I, I got you. <laughs> and there are circumstances that will come. There are circumstances you know, involving all types of things like that, and I get it. And God bless police officers for what they do, and I mean that, too, right? because it is a thankless profession, and we could not operate in America the way we do without our boys in blue, period. But not every one of those cats is an American hero. And maybe this gets to a point where police officers get more training, and they're vetted better. How about that? I don't know, man. I don't have the options. This was unplanned and unscripted. It was free podcast. Thanks for hanging out. We love you guys. We'll see you next time. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats from Sanford, North Carolina. A Cheap Seats radio production.